So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, Ooh wow. Oh. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays. And same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, Start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live. Same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present. In select states, gambling problem, call 100Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome in to the first ever Football Friday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I have been dreaming about this show basically since last offseason and basically since I knew I was taking this gig to work with Bill, to work with the Ringer, to work with Spotify, because it has allowed my grand plan. My baby. I feel like I'm holding my baby and it's about to just grow into this like stud of a linebacker that I could never be because I don't have that sort of athletic ability. Maybe in another lifetime, I will have offspring that have such athletic ability. What I can provide you instead of that is a badass Friday pod that is going to have everything covered that you need for week one in the National Football League. And oh yeah, we have a dumpster five or subway series to get to. But all in all, listen, the football Thursday night was spectacular. That was a really fun game. A game that came down to the wire. A game in which Tampa Bay turned the football over four times. I thought Tampa Bay was about to go in and cover the number until Chris Godwin had other plans. But credit to Dallas Cowboys. Dallas moved the football at will on Tampa Bay. Amari Cooper looked great. CeeDee Lamb looked great. And the questions surrounding Dak Prescott, 
who had not played in the game going all the way back to last October. And how would he look? And what kind of rhythm would he be in? I thought Dak was pinpoint. I thought Dak looked super sharp. And it looked like Dak and the Cowboys were going to go march down the field. Zerline, who missed a bunch earlier in the game, was going to get his moment of redemption, and they were going to go and win it. When Tom Brady's on the other sideline, though, that normally does not go your way. And I am just so thankful, beyond thankful, that Tom Brady decided two years ago, I'm done with Bill Belichick, I'm done with the New England Patriots, and I'm going to take my talents to Tampa, Florida. Because now I can enjoy every minute of Tom Brady working his magic. I don't have to be dealing with the obnoxious Patriot fan. That's right. I'm looking at you, Bill in Los Angeles. I'm looking at you, Brian Patrick from Warwick, Rhode Island. You know who you are. You know who you are. You've had nothing but success and, and, and Super Bowls and brilliance for 20 plus years. Now I see Brady and Gronk hooking up. I see Brady finding Antonio Brown. He's doing it in a Tampa uniform. Awesome. Of course, Brady gets the benefit of the doubt. What else is new when it comes to officiating? But all in all, we waited a long time to have football back in our lives. We got football back in our lives, and it was fantastic. We have a lot more primetime games like that. We're going to be in really good spirits kicking off these Friday shows, even when we lose a couple of bucks like we did on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus eight and a half. Thanks, Chris Godwin. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and sometimes it rains. Now, think about the disaster of this Subway Series. Just think about it for a minute. The Yankees can't win a game. The Yankees went into this series, even after losing two out of three to the Angels, even after losing two out of three to the lowly, embarrassing, hapless Baltimore Orioles, with a comfortable working margin against the Toronto Blue Jays. That is gone. That is over. That is done with. After the Yankees proceed to get swept in four straight games. Now, I know the Yankees are compromised. They don't have Jonathan Loisaga. They don't have confidence in a role this Chapman. They have another blow today with Jamison Tyon. I know a lot of things have gone against the Yankees in the last week or so. Oh, well and good. Explain this to me. And the managing in town is an embarrassment. I mean, for Aaron Boone and for Louis Rojas, and we'll get to him and his knucklehead moves coming up in a matter of moments, it's basically a challenge of ineptitude. And as I tweeted out earlier in the day, the managing in this town, from both Aaron Boone and Louis Rojas, leaves a lot to be desired. How in God's name, in a game you have to win if you're the Yankees. Two games swing in the standings. You've lost all these games in a row. You've gotten punked by the Blue Jays. How do you honestly roll out Sal Romano in the seventh inning of a 2-2 game after Anthony Rizzo just hit a game-tying home run when you have Wandy Peralta up in the bullpen? That is absurd. That is like a clinic of what not to do. And then you're going to let Peralta throw 40-something pitches, but yet he couldn't come in the seventh inning? What are we doing? Now, it's not the only reason the Yankees are losing games. Libertorius stinks. I don't know what has happened to Giro Shella. Uh, 
The Yankees basically didn't have a lead at any point in this four-game series, and I'm going to own it. Toronto looked better. They looked flat out better. Their stars performed. Their lineup is deeper. Their pitching was better. But the sort of moves like bringing in a guy who has been designated for assignment by three teams, you just called him up, and he's pitching in a 2-2, seventh in a game, in a game you desperately need to win, is embarrassing. And good for the guys on yes. Curry, Flaherty, they were all over it. They were ripping the manager after the game. Give those guys credit because it's a no-brainer. There's no defense to that. So the Yankees going into the Subway Series, reeling to the point where they only have a half-game lead over Toronto, who's a better team than they are, and they're behind the Boston Red Sox. My goodness, the narrative with the Yankees is back to being as rotten as it can be. Because they were as bad as I think I've seen them all year in this series against the Blue Jays. That's number one. Then you get to Rojas and the Mets. We did a green room yesterday. The idea of them pitching to De La Cruz, the idea of them sending up Patrick Mazzica with the game on the line, I mean, these are mind-numbingly bad managerial moves. Louis Rojas had his bad attempt inning in Wednesday night's game that you're ever going to see. Pitching to De La Cruz, who's the only guy who's worth the damn, basically, in the Marlin lineup. I mean, holy moly, how stupid can you be? How stupid can you be? That cost the Mets a game. And Diaz pointing to the sky. I mean, don't get me started with Diaz. But then today's game. Strowman's pitching fine, pitching a really good game. Why is he out after 80-something, 90 pitches? To go into that bullpen? What are we doing? He's taking Strowman out of the game way too early. Brad Hand comes in, makes an awful fielding miscue, and then Familia gives up a home run in the bottom half of the eighth inning. And the Mets are losing one-run games like it's nobody's freaking business. Remember when the Mets were winning one-run games? It felt like time after time after time in the early going of this year. Well, they're not doing any of that right now. So here we are. We're going into Subway Series 2021. And obviously, the significance of the Subway Series as much as it means for both teams, it's a battle of survival for the Yankees in a wild card race, for the Mets who are trying to find a way to claw back with Philly losing, Atlanta winning, they're five back of Atlanta, they're six back in the loss column. It's going to be overshadowed, of course, by the backdrop of the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. And we know what a brutal day it was in New York City. I was in eighth grade. I will never forget. The Giants played the Broncos on a Monday night. We were in the cafeteria. That was like our routine, always right before first period. And they were keeping us in the cafeteria way too long. And this was, remember, before the days of cell phones and Twitter and, and, and any of that sort of stuff. So it felt like we were there for a while. Because like I we basically went over every single play in the game. You know, like normally you'd go over, play here, play there, hear the bell. All right, we got to go to class. I felt like I was doing a show from the cafeteria that day. And then we finally get into first period and we find out what's going on. That two points that hit the World Trade Center and then they unfortunately collapsed. And it was just horrifying. I mean, for classmates of mine who had parents that worked in those buildings, who had family members who might have been first responders, my hometown of Staten Island was ravaged with the amount of people who ended up losing their lives. It was one of those periods in your life. And I think many of us are going through this now with COVID where 
You needed something to feel good about. You needed something to put a smile on your face. That year in 2001, the baseball teams were able to do that. The Yankees were able to do that. The Mets with Mike Piazza were able to do that. Brought you joy for three, three and a half hours. On a much lighter note, and we're doing this show with heavy hearts, of course. These two baseball teams are down. It's going to be very, very tough to find any bit of joy with the way the Yankees and the Mets have been playing. So basically, this Subway Series is a battle of survival. It's a battle of just staying relevant. Right now, one of these teams, if they have a bad weekend, they go rotten and get swept. You could be irrelevant for the remainder of 2021. We got a loaded show. We'll run around the league. We'll get you ready for the Jets. Sam Darnold against his old team. Zach Wilson's debut. Robert Sala's debut. We'll get you ready for the Giants. Daniel Jones revamped the offensive line. Giants taking on the Broncos. We got you covered every which way. Trust me on that. Voicemails, your reaction. Very curious to see where you guys are going to take this. Get it rolling. Coming up next. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. So before we get to voicemails, we have to set the stage for what you will have in the first NFL Sunday of 2021. It starts at one o'clock with the Jets going into Carolina to take on their old quarterback, Sam Darnold, to take on the coach they could have hired in Matt Rule. And I'm sure there's going to be some of what could have been. I wouldn't look at it that way. If I'm the Jets and I'm a Jet fan, I'm looking at this game as the start of a new era. First time I'm going to see Robert Sala coach a game. First time I'm going to see Zach Wilson in a game that counts. How does he look? How does he handle the pressure? Does he deal with adversity properly and in the right fashion? These are the questions you're going to learn more and more about the Jets as this season goes along. And listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I don't think the Jets are going to win a whole lot of games this year. I do think they're going to be a more competitive team. I think they're going to be in a lot more games. And I think they're going to be far more watchable. I think that's going to be a theme early and right out of the gate. You're going to notice it here in this matchup against Carolina. I think from a week one standpoint, there is a lot more pressure on the Giants to go and win their first game as opposed to the Jets. The Giants home taking on a Denver team in which they are two and a half, three point underdogs. Denver's got a stout defense. Denver's going to be able to run the football if they're playing their right brand, their style, what they're looking to do. And they got playmakers who can scare you. But this is the sort of game to me. If the Giants are going to be a winning team, you win this game. 
You're at home. You have a quick turnaround against a football team on Thursday. You don't want to lose this game and be staring 0-2 potentially right in the face, right out of the gate. And I think the key to this game is very simple. Are the New York Giants going to be able to protect Daniel Jones, number one? And number two, is Daniel Jones going to avoid the back-breaking sort of mistakes that have plagued him in his first two years in the NFL? If the answer to those questions can be a positive result, decent pass protection, quarterback, plays turnover free, and makes a couple of plays, the Giants can win this game. If it goes the other way, it could look ugly. Now, I don't expect a whole lot of points in this game. I think you will have a whole lot of points in the Jet Carolina game. This is a statement game for the Giants right out of the gate. They've been awful in their openers starting off like the last like seven out of eight years. Something crazy like that. It feels like they lose in week one year after year after year. Sooner or later, got to buck that trend. Now, we go around the league before we hit some voicemails. Philly at Atlanta. Curious to see Atlanta. New coach. Did wonders with Tannehill. Going to do wonders with Matt Ryan? I think Atlanta is better than people think. Philly, not expecting a whole lot of them going into this year. But be careful with the NFC East. That is a topsy-turvy division. And there have been plenty of years the team that's picked dead last in the odds goes and surprises people. Pittsburgh, they get T.J. Watt taken care of. Najee Harris's look great. Last dance potentially for Roethlisberger. This is a team that embarrassed them last year. They're going into Buffalo, and I mean, I can't escape the love fest for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, everywhere I go and everybody I talk to seems to like them to win the Super Bowl, to win the AFCs going away. They love Allen. They love this. They love that. Buffalo, a very, very trendy team this year. And listen, I think there's reasons why. Minnesota at Cincinnati. Excited to see Joe Burrow back in action. Excited to see what Jamar Chase is going to bring to the table. Now, I think Cincinnati is a terrible team. Burrow is a winner, though. There is an it factor about him at quarterback. So I'm excited to see what kind of shape he's going to be in right out of the gate. And for the Vikings, listen, this is a team that needs to get to the postseason or I'm looking at major, major changes in the offseason. San Fran at Detroit, new era for Dan Campbell. San Francisco is a team that has serious Super Bowl aspirations. The question is, what's the deal at quarterback? We know it's going to be Garoppolo early, but how does that materialize and how does that progress as the season goes along to square a play as far as taking San Francisco and the points. But uh, this is a safe knockout pool as far, pick as far as I'm concerned. Arizona, Tennessee, interesting game. Expect a whole lot of points. Tennessee's offense will get it up and down the field. Arizona's offense going to get them up and down the field. Major coaching mismatch, though. Mike Vrabel and Cliff Kingsbury, major, major coaching mismatch. Carson Wentz debut, taking on Seattle. Seattle's very good in these sort of games. Indianapolis, slow starters over the last few years. Indianapolis bringing in a new quarterback. Tough spot for the Colts right out of the gate. This is a marquee game at 1 o'clock. I think a lot of people will be into it. Chargers, sexy team. Herbert at quarterback. Eckler, we're going to find out about him over the weekend. And then my Washington football team. The bearded wonder Fitzpatrick at quarterback. A defense that I think is going to be very, very stout this year. I'm big on the Washington football team this year. And that's going to be a fun game. I think Herbert and Fitzpatrick are going to be making some plays, making some crazy back and forth, you know, Houdini type acts. That's the MO for Fitzy. And Herbert, listen, after that rookie year, let's see what he has in store for an encore. Jacksonville and Houston, it's Lawrence debut. 
There's not much to say about the Texans. They're awful. They stink. They're a candidate for the worst team in the league. They might be live in that spot, though. Nobody believes in us. Cleveland, Kansas City, marquee game of the 4 o'clock window. I don't even think it is close. Mayfield, big year for him. Browns losing to the Chiefs last year. I think a very live team going in. And the question is going to be around Kansas City and whether or not they can block and have they solved the problems that they had at the end of last year on that offensive line. Miami at New England. This is the Simmons-Jastrzemski Bowl. It is the Alabama quarterback bowl with Tua and Mac Jones. Gigantic year for Tua. And I heard Cousin Sal say this, I believe, on Bill's pod. I was listening earlier in the week. This game has massive overreaction one way or another written all over it. If New England is great and Mac Jones looks great, he's the second coming, blah, blah, blah. If Tua is terrible, he's awful. Deshaun Watson, yada, yada, yada. And if it goes the other way, you'll have the other overreaction. This game is your classic overreaction game here in week one. Mark that down. And a toss-up game between Flores and Belichick. Green Bay at New Orleans. Games being played, remember, in Jacksonville, Florida. The start of the Jameis Winston regime. And is Jameis Winston going to be able to play turnover-free football? Green Bay, you know the storyline's there. Last dance for Aaron Rodgers. This is going to be the last time you see Aaron Rodgers in a Green Bay uniform. Does he have a big year in store? That division kind of leads me to think yes, because who else do you like? Sunday night game stinks. This game would be a lot more fun if Justin Fields is playing. He's not. It'll be Dalton, the quarterback. Chicago going into L.A. to take on the Rams. Matthew Stafford's debut. Matthew Stafford in that McVay offense. Very excited to see that. And then, of course, the Ravens with all their injuries down. Monday night, going into the Death Star. First crowd in Las Vegas in a regular season game. That's a fun Monday night game, even though I don't think the Raiders are any good. So that's your run-through of week one. We run around the league. That's what we do on this podcast. We got you covered Jets. We got you covered Giants. But we run around the league. You're able to run around the league. Can't do that with the other sports. Not as fun. I love baseball. Can't do it. NBA, doing it nightly. Can't do it. The NFL, there's just something special about around the league, Sunday at 1 o'clock, 10 games, 11 games going on. Regular season Sundays are better than postseason Sundays. I said it. I said it because there's more action. If you like action like me, this time of the year gets you going. All right, voicemail time. Speaking of action, sorry for the delay, but you know what? We got to do what we got to do. Let's hear it. Saruti, what do we got? JJ, Danny from Edison. I got to tell you, man, I am so disgusted as a Yankee fan right now. And it feels like they're not going to win another game. I mean, I know they will, <laughs> but it feels like they won't. And you know what? Like, I'm at the point now, the way that this team is constructed and the way it's managed, Aaron Boone, first on Sunday, you have a three-run lead against Baltimore and you bring in Andrew Heaney. Andrew fucking Heaney to try to protect the lead. And then tonight, you tie up the game, and you go to Sal Romano, who, no offense, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but you just picked him up off the scrap heap for, what, the second, third, fourth time this year? How do you go to him in a tie game that you need to win? It's unbelievable. And then just the anemic nature of the team, Joey Gallo, we don't need any more of those guys. Bottom line, if we have to collapse and miss the playoffs altogether to get some systematic change, some change to the way this roster is constructed, the approach that they have to putting a roster together and what they look for in hitters and players. all You know what? 
get Boone out of there, maybe even Cashman, although I doubt it. But even if there's an approach, a change in approach, it is worth it, JJ. It is worth it because this kind of baseball that they play is never going to sustain over a full season to win a World Series. So, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, let it all burn down, brother. I feel your pain. I know you feel mine. Thanks for, thanks for being the Yankee therapist, man. Keep it up. I try to be, Danny. Listen, it's tough to root for, though. It's going to be tough for me to be at City Field on Friday night rooting for a loss. And I understand your point about the flawed nature of this team, the way they've been put together, the bad job that Boone has done throughout the course of this year. It's all true. They've had some things go against them. But reality hit you rather hard if you were watching this game Thursday and if you've been watching these games against the Blue Jays. I said it to a buddy of mine playing golf Monday afternoon. We listened to the game. We had it on the court as we're on a golf course. I said, if the Yankees lose Tuesday with Cole, they're going to get swept in the series. And I was right about that. I don't feel particularly good about it, but I was right about that. Because they lost the Cole start and they ended up losing the next two. Romano pitching in that seventh inning is, is malpractice. And it kind of led to the events that you saw in the ninth inning where Andrew Heaney's got to come in. How is Andrew Heaney still on this team? And I actually liked the pickup when they made it. I mean, my goodness, I couldn't have been more wrong. He stinks. He should have been DFA'd a long, long time ago. I guess the only silver lining to Heaney pitching in Friday's game or Thursday's game is that he's not going to pitch on Sunday night, where it will be Montgomery on Friday, Kluber on Saturday, and I don't have the slightest idea what the Yankees are doing on Sunday. I mean, I'm already seeing the, the comparisons being made to the 2007-2008 New York Mets. That's not company you want to join if you're the Yanks. Despite how much you may want change, that is not company you want to join. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Love this show. This is David from Scottsdale. I just got a couple comments here on the Yankees watching this Blue Jays getting swept here. I just want to say this entire team, this entire season, this entire failure of a debacle of a year, this fucking bum, Andrew Heaney, on the bump, giving up a home run first batter. How the fuck is Brian Cashman still employed? There's people out there saying he's the best GM in baseball. This fucking idiot couldn't win a single game if he had the raise payroll. He needs to go. He needs to be gone immediately. And frankly, he should be shunned from ever showing his face in the city of New York again. He's a disgrace. He's potentially ruined the Yankees. Love the show. Love the gambling pits. Let's have a good football season, JJ. Take care. I appreciate those kind words. I think you're being a little harsh on Brian Cashman. Brian Cashman has proceeded over teams that have won world championships here in this town. Brian Cashman has made some brilliant moves as Yankee general manager. He's made some terrible moves as Yankee general manager. I don't think there's anything that can happen between now and the end of this year that will lead to Brian Cashman being dismissed. I don't. You think about his trade deadline moves, and we were very complimentary of the moves that were made for the Yankees. And clearly, they gave the team a spark. They went on a winning streak where they won 13 games in a row. The Rizzo move has worked out. Rizzo's been a good pickup. He's a good glove. He's a leader. He should be on the team next season. Gallo's been a disaster. I mean, Joey Gallo is basically hitting 120 in the Yankee uniform. So the Gallo pickup is a failure. The Heaney pickup is a failure. But then I'm going to give credit. The Rodriguez pickup's been good. He was in a Gala trade. The Holmes pickup has been good. It's mixed bag. The bigger issue is the way this team has been put together. Partially due to luxury tax. 
partially due to the Yankees being stuck in their ways. Cashman, from some instances, gives you confidence that he is the guy to turn it around. In other instances, he does not. But he's going to be here. There's no way in the world this manager should be here. Unless the Yankees are playing in the ALCS. That was our mandate. I gave you that a while back. If the Yankees are not playing in the ALCS, they should have a new manager. You guys could scream about the front office all you'd like. How in the world is Sal Romano pitching in a 2-2 game in the top half of the seventh inning? I mean, what kind of plan is that? One of this dog shit. That's what it is. Next. Hi, John. It's Alyssa from Jersey. You said you like when people call in from Yankee Stadium, so I'm doing it. It is Wednesday night, September 8th. It's the top of the ninth inning, and I just watched Araldis Chapman pitch like absolute dog shit for yet another night in a row. What are we going to do about him, Jersey? we got to get him. Oh, yeah, there's a guy screaming his brains out behind me because he's also losing his mind. What are we going to do about this guy? Has there been a more unlikable Yankee in the past 10, 15 years? I can't possibly think of one off the top of my head, but I am done with this guy. I want him off our team. I think he is our biggest weakness right now, in addition to not being able to hit or uh, make throws from the outfield anymore. But uh, that's it, JJ. Just wanted to let you know. Hopefully, I'll be your first female caller on the show, um, and hopefully, I'll get some support for my hate in Mr. Aralvis Chapman. Thank you. Well, fabulous call. Appreciate it. Welcome to New York, New York. Don't be a stranger. Is Chapman the most unlikable Yankee over the last 10 to 15 years? I don't think I'm willing to go that far. This year, though, he's driven us all to drink. Remember the first two months of the year where all this Chapman was unhittable? What in the world has happened to that guy? And the Yankees do have a closer problem. And I think it played a role in the way Aaron Boone managed this game on Thursday night. It shouldn't have, but it did. Because he didn't want to go to Chad Green. He didn't want to go to Wandy Peralta because he really didn't want to put a world as Chapman in a tight situation. When I think about unlikable Yankees, Jacoby Ellsbury probably tops my list because he never played and was an absolute stiff. I couldn't stand Kenny Lofton when he was a Yankee. And I think the Kenny Lofton situation bothered me because he was taking playing time away from Bernie Williams. That never sat well with me. I mean, then you have guys like... See, the question is, are we talking about guys who are Yankee flops? Or are we talking about guys who had significant roles on the team that were incredibly unlikable? See, Sheffield went from being a guy that I really, really liked, and then I soured on Sheffield this last year with the Yankees. Because I did. Uh, he seemed to be a guy that was just doing nonstop complaining and bellyaching when he was coming back from an injury. I'd have to think about that. But off the top of my head, I go with the guy who's underperforming and... The king of underperformance over the last 15, 20 years in the Yankee uniform is Ellsbury by a significant, significant margin. Who's next? Hey, JJ, this is Brian calling from Arkansas. I'm a truck driver, long-suffering Mets fan. Well, they did it again, just like Britney Spears saying. Once again, they lost to the mighty Miami Marlins. This team is an abomination. They're fucking unholy. Forget about being sorry or crummy or terrible. No. They need to be completely blown up. I mean, 
scorched fucking earth. You should have never brought back Sandy Alderson. Major mistake. Luis Rojas makes Mickey Callaway look like a Hall of Fame manager. This guy is a disaster. He doesn't know what in the hell he's doing. You might as well put me managing this team. I couldn't do any worse, or anybody for that matter. They can't pitch. They can't, if they pitch, they can't hit. If they hit, they can't pitch. They always find a way to fuck it up. You go 9-5 and five after you started off 7-1 and one against the Nationals and the Marlins. I was looking so forward to this three-game series with the Yankees, 9-11. My interest is gone now. Gone. Thank God football is here. Thank God. Fucking pathetic. What a fucking joke. Get rid of every damn one of them, except Pete Alonzo and that front office going there with a damn and fucking napalm it. Get rid of every one of them. Pete slips out the yin yang. Pathetic. Bunch of damn losers. Brian, let it all hang out. Sometimes you gotta just do it, baby. You gotta let it all hang out. This is safe space. This is a comfortable space. Sometimes you gotta hide the women and children. But my goodness, Brian right now wants some serious change. And I am fully convinced the Mets will clean house in the offseason. They have an easy out because of everything that's gone on with Porter and Scott and Alderson not really wanting the role to begin with. He should be out too. The reason Cohen had to bring in Sandy Alderson is because that was the dangling carrot he had to give the owners in order for him to go and buy the team. I do believe that. That in order for Steve Cohen, this hedge fund billionaire with all this crazy money, who's going to spend like a drunken seller, the only way he was going to be allowed to go and get the New York Mets, you've got to bring in somebody that is well-respected throughout the sport and that the owners like. Alderson is one of those guys. Yes, they absolutely need to blow up their front office. Rojas is completely overmatched as a manager. He's a good guy, but he's completely overmatched. And your first call has got to be Theo Epstein. It's got to be Theo, and then you kind of take it from there. Theo wants the job, and he's willing to take some ownership. Awesome. If not, hey, you got more resources now than anybody in baseball. If that means the hot shot from the Rays, if that means somebody from Milwaukee's front office, get me a well-respected guy in here who knows a thing or two about player development. And knows a thing or two about building a winning infrastructure and culture. Because that's something that is clearly lacking within the Mets. Subway series in New York City. Vile and rotten. A whole lot of pain. We have Joe Benigno on later on in the show. Oh, the pain. Oh, the pain indeed for both of these teams. Last but not least with the voicemail. What do we got? Hey, JJ. Sean from Long Island. Thanks for taking the call, man. Calling you shortly before the NFL opener. Happy opening night to you in the pod. Um, I think we're in lockstep and a lot of division leaders. And I put in a bet. God bless the uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, allowing you to parlay division winners. JJ, I went for the whale. Eight deep, my man. Bills, Chiefs, Browns, Titans. Then we got the Rams, Washington football team, Vikings, and the Bucks in the South. Sharing for all eight. $20 bet wins 13000 Going for the big one, JJ. I think the one uh, turned the punch bowl there is probably the Vikings. Hopefully Kirk Cousins stays away from uh, everyone on the planet to uh, stay healthy. But I think we got this one, man. Going for the big whale this year. Should be fun. 
Thanks so much, and uh, happy football season, JJ. Take care. I love that sort of white whale parlay to have something to root for week in and week out, and FanDuel does a fabulous job as far as being able to parlay divisions and this and that. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Well, we're in agreement lock and step with every single one of those AFC division picks. Then in the NFC, you went against the grain a little bit, throwing Minnesota in there. I think you're picking the best of the other options. I don't trust the Vikings, but you didn't give me the Brown, you didn't give me the Lions, and you didn't give me the Bears. So I respect that. And then the Rams, the Niners, the, the Seahawks, you're basically splitting hairs in that division. I kind of like the AFC teams, Bills, Chiefs, Browns, Titans. Who screws that up? I like those four maybe as a potential parlay, something we're thinking about. We got picks still to come. We got our fantasy stuff still to come. We're going to welcome in a guy who knows a thing or two about coaching special teams. He coached in this town for a long time. He coached with Don Shula. He coached with Rex Ryan. He coached with Sean Payton. He's coached with basically just about everybody. And remembers the craziness and the tragedy of what happened 20 years ago. Great Mike Westoff joins New York, New York. That's coming up next. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. So, obviously an exciting week. Week one in the NFL is upon us. This guy knows a thing or two about getting a team ready to go. He spent a whole lot of years coaching special teams in the NFL for the Miami Dolphins, my beloved team. Long time here with the New York Jets. Last time we saw him on the sideline, he was coaching with the New Orleans Saints. Mike Westoff, coach, first and foremost, how are we feeling? How's everything? How are you oh, doing? I'm fine. I'm doing great. I'm fine. Thank you. So you feel like you're basically close to all the way back? Is that fair to say? Uh, all the way back. I guess you're referring to the surgeries I've had uh, with all that stuff. And so, yeah, I'm fine. I'm going great. That's and, terrific. That's great to hear. I, I, get around, um, I, get around, I get around very well. Thank you. Ah, uh, there you go. There you go. Do you still get, even though you're not, you know, on an NFL sideline this weekend, the same sort of like butterflies, positive feelings, positive juju when it comes to the year store? And I know there are a lot of fans listening to this show. You know, week one, hope springs eternal in many ways. Was there always that sense of anticipation, excitement when you would get ready for the first game of the year? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I still get it. I'm going up to um, Jacksonville. I'm going to drive up on Saturday. You know, the Saints are going to play Green Bay in Jacksonville. And I talked with them. I'm going to go to the game. Well, I'm looking forward to that. They're the team I have the closest alliance with now. And um, I'm looking forward to it. But I still, you know, I can still remember back how I used to feel, you know, you build up all year long, you go through the preseason. I mean, it's diluted now, please. I mean, I'm 73. I can go through the preseason today. Uh, yeah, you get excited because, you know, everything builds up. Uh, you get to come out of that tunnel with that big crowd. Uh, you, 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 you can't buy your way out of that tunnel. You have to earn it. And I used to love that. You mentioned the tight relationship you have with a bunch of guys on that New Orleans Saints team. And I, I'd argue, Coach, 
That no call at the end of the fourth quarter a couple of years ago is one of the worst calls in the history of the National Football League. You've been a part of great wins. You've obviously had some tough losses along the way. Would you say that was the toughest loss you were ever associated with, that game against the Rams? Uh, that's a good question. And I'd have to divide it into two parts. As a team, yes. Yes, as a team, when you look at a big picture. As me personally, no, because we did really well. We had a really good game. So in that regard, you know, I knew that we had done some things to help win the game. I think it was the worst call in the history of sport, not the NFL. Work, period. In the sentence. Because it had so much at stake and it was so easy. I mean, come on, they find the guy, what, whatever, $15,000 the next day for hitting the face. I mean, so, you know, everybody in the world knew that that was a terrible call and we would have gone to the Super Bowl. Now, for me, now that was my fifth time that I knocked on the door and I didn't get to go. And um, that was frustrating. We were a very, very good team that was capable of winning that next game. You spent time with the great Don Shula. And, yes. Coach, I grew up a diehard Miami Dolphins fan here in the New York area. And I think the main reason why is Dan Marino, Don Shula, coming of age, Jets and Giants were awful when I was growing up. And watching Dan sling the football. I mean, now everybody's slinging the football because of the rules being the way that they are. Correct. But in many ways, he was ahead of his time. For you personally, what was the biggest coaching lesson you took from the legendary Hall of Famer? That's, that, that, that's really a good question. Um, Donna never, I'll tell you what he did. Um, he never stopped learning. Every day, he was going to find a way to either do it easily as well or do it better. And he, he made us go along with that. And we also did it the right way. So he was never involved in cheating. There was never anything that was, uh, you know, inappropriate. He handled himself in, a, in an excellent manner. And we were a really good football team. In my opinion, um, and I'm very proud of it, I, th I think he's first and nobody's second. I'm also extremely proud in my time with him um, of everybody that worked for him. I'm the only one of his guys that received that uh, um, Lifetime Achievement Award from the Raiders. I'm the only one. And I'm extremely proud of that. Coach, you spent a long time with the Miami Dolphins. You got yes. to see Dan Marino at his best for yes. a lengthy, lengthy period. Those last couple of years with Jimmy Johnson, I think a lot of people thought Jimmy was going to take that team and push him over the top. He clearly built the defense. You go and get Jason Taylor. You go and get Zach Thomas, who was, to me, a Hall of Famer and should be in the Hall of Fame. He will be. But, I mean, you think about it, though, Coach. The idea that the team kind of was in some way taken away from Marino, was that because of Marino's age? Or was that something you're watching from afar with special teams? Was that rift real there between Jimmy Johnson and Dan Marino? It was. There definitely was somewhat of a rift. And it was not an overt. It wasn't a thing like, you know, Jimmy was trying to smash Dan. That wasn't the case. Jimmy had a theory that he firmly believed in and he was going to stick with. He was going to run the ball, play action pass, you know, all those types of things. And, and Dan had kind of got beyond that. What should have happened, you want to know what should have happened? And I tell you, get my book and you'll read the whole thing. Um, after Jimmy retired, he really wanted to get out. He had had it. Yeah, he was tired. He wanted to leave and go into the media, et cetera. Uh, I tried to get the job. I should have gotten it. What I was going to do, I was going to keep George Hill, our defensive coordinator, because we were number one right there. I had the best special teams unit in the NFL, maybe NFL history. So I was going to hang on to that. But I was going to give my good friend, Joe D. Mills, who's been around the league now with Rams, that job. 
I would become the head coach. I was going to hire a good friend of mine who was assistant offensive coordinator with the Indianapolis Colts, and I was going to put in the Peyton Manning offense for Dan Marino at the end of his career. Dan was you think right. you would have been able, Coach, to convince Dan to play another year if that were the he case? He and asked me to go try to get the job done. He got me set up in I interview with Heisenga. The job was done, and they gave it to another guy, and the whole thing is history. And they then went to, you know, just news what it is. Um, Coach, you know, that's something I never knew. It's amazing. You learn something new every day. And then you go from the Dolphins to New York City and the New York football Jets. And listen, this is a week that I think hits home to a lot of us because we're talking about the 20th anniversary of September 11th. You were a part of Jet coaching staff that year. Um, Take me through not just the events of that day. Take me through the day of, the next day, as far as that debate of playing, not playing. Were you one of the guys that was basically banging the table, saying there's no way in the world we can play a football game here this weekend? That's It's really a good point. Um, you know, the, like everyone else, I was shocked. You know, we were getting ready. We had, lo- we had lost our opener to the Colts. We played poorly. It's a, it was a, the first time in years that I did not have a real good game. I was, you know, I, I was upset myself. All of a sudden, I'm watching what's going on. I went outside and I could see the smoke. So, you know, it was right in our backyard. And then we had practice the next day. That night, I had gotten a call from a Green Bay Packers from a good friend of mine, Mark Hadley, who was assistant uh, general manager. And he told me that Ron Wolf, who, as you well know, was a big name in the National Football League, had talked with the president and they wanted the NFL to play. And he was asking me about a player, but he said, Mike, you better get ready because they want us to play. All right, our guys were not ready. They just couldn't do it. So Wednesday was listless. Thursday, we had a team meeting. I thought Herman Edwards, who I think did some things mediocrely, to be honest with you as a coach, but in this instance, he handled it very well. He he turned the meeting over to the players. Vinny Testaverde, Kevin Mawai, and um, Curtis Martin. And and he said, look, guys, you got an hour. And then there's an NFL conference call. We have to make a decision. Came up to my office. He and I sat there. And I said, Herman, we have to respect whatever they do. I said, if they find the guys, I said, I'll give one of my checks. So I'm going along. Whatever they want to do, let's get on ball. And we did. We agreed. The players went to the general manager and they told Terry Crabway, no matter what, we cannot play. We just can't do it. And so the Jets were the first team that spoke up in the meeting and said, we're not getting on a plane and going to Oakland, no matter what the consequences. Please give us a timeout. And that's what the NFL did. I think it was the perfect thing for sport. I believe it all started with the New York Jets, and I will always believe that. And, Coach, you think about that year. After you guys come back, obviously the baseball team's in town. They're wearing the FDNY hats. They're wearing the NYPD hats. You guys doing the same sort of deal. It felt like the teams of New York and New Jersey really just, you know, symbolized the spirit of a whole lot of New Yorkers trying to heal, trying to feel that sense of normalcy. Did you almost feel like, Coach, that first game back, it felt like it was more than a game? Absolutely more. We, We went up to New England. We played the Patriots. It was Bill Belichick's second season. Before the game, see, when I remember his first season, I think he was four and 11. Second, he got beat by Cincinnati. They started, we're the second game. 
He's walking out on the field talking to Herman Edwards. And, and I, I, you know, can I swear to this? No, I can't. I know what he said. He told Herman, he said, I'm not going to make it through the year. We're terrible. He said, this guy's going to fire me. He said, we're, not, we're just not very good. Mo, Mo Lewis drills Bledsoe, as you remember, Tom Brady becomes the quarterback. Now, we won the game, but they changed their entire offense. And that's the year that they went to the Super Bowl and won, and their entire history reversed itself. So standing on that sideline, there was a million things that happened. The way it was handled, the, the, the first responders, the firefighters, the police, it was incredible. It was tremendous to be a part of it. And as I look back now, uh, it was one of the best things that, that, that I ever experienced in my life of that whole entire time. And then we came on as a football team. Remember that game that we but we had to go, but we had to make up. They played it at the end of the year. And you had a big kick from John Hall to get you in the playoffs that year. I we remember a, that, Coach. We had, a, we had a block punt from Chris Hayes to play before to put us to tie the game. Oh, and you love that. Game. I see you gushing right now about your special teams. I love it, it Coach. That's why you were one of the best to ever do it. I love the pride that you have for your special teams unit. It's fabulous. I'll give you, fabulous. I'll give you a real quick thing that happened to me after that game. I'll tell you a real quick thing. And actually, I wrote about this. Um, I either was the first one out of the locker room or the last. That day, I was the first after that game. I went out into that empty, crummy stadium. And I sat in there by myself. Now, go back to a recent movie that's come out, Brad Pitt, Moneyball. Brad Pitt went into that same stadium and sat there and told his guy, his analytics guy. And I sat there and said this to myself. You know, Mike, you, I just had an incredible game. I mean, we did everything right. We killed it. And blocked the kick and made the biggest kick in their history. Da, 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 da. So you're not going to get everything you want in this business. It's not going to happen for you. But if you do this right, you can change the game. I told myself that. And I think that's what I did. That's what, that's what Brad Pitt, Billy Bean, told himself. We can change the game. And I swear to God, that's true. That's tremendous. That is absolutely tremendous. How stunned are you? Tom Brady, you saw him come in for the first time. All right. he made. I think he made a debut in 2000, maybe played a couple of meaningless slaps, whatever. He comes in after that Bledsoe hit, Mo Lewis. 20-plus years later, this guy is still doing it. Coach, how is that like one of the more like insane things that you can ever think of in the NFL? And, and I know the quarterback doesn't get hit the way they once did. And I know Tom takes unbelievable care of his body. I mean, he used to say like seven, eight years ago, I'm going to play till I'm 45. I was like, yeah, BS. There's no way in the world that's going to happen. Coach, I'm not down to him now. Tom Brady in his mid-40s playing. Crazy, huh? No way. He, if he wants to do it, he can do it. The, guy, the guy's phenomenal. And he works his tail off. I've got a number of guys that I know that have been up there in New England and have told me about what he does, his routine, how he works, how he studies. In the weight room, he lives in the weight room. You know, he's taking care Believe me, I know that you know, the hitting's not quite the same. But he's been hit plenty. This guy's been hit. You don't want to get hit that many times. He's tremendous. He's just a tremendous competitor. And he understands what it takes. And then you you kind of put the right things around them, which Tampa has done, I think, with their defense. Now, all of a sudden, this guy can just keep going. See, I, I, think, I think it's a phenomenal story, and I have tremendous respect for him. Coach, in your time with the New York Jets, what was the best team you were a part of? I think that first group, when we went to the championship game with Rex, 
that was really a good football team. We're talking about LaDamian Thomas and Alan Panica. And these are, you know, Jason Taylor. You know, those are all those guys are all in the Hall of Fame. We put together a really good team. Now, it was a certain type of team. You know, we, we didn't have the great, you know, we had Mark Sanchez. And he did a nice job. He was manageable. We weren't Tom Brady. And, and so, but we could run the ball. We led the league in rushing. We were very good on defense. And I had an all-star team. We could beat the hell out of you, plain and simple. That's who we were. And people didn't want to play us. And we weren't the sexiest team. No, we didn't. You know, we weren't throwing the ball all over the lot. We weren't that. But all of a sudden, you know, we went from trying to be that team to trying to become the southern version of the New England Patriots. And then we fell apart. That was a really good football team that, uh, that, that could beat a lot of people. Those guys were really good. Well, and you think about that win up in New England. I would say it's the highlight for Jeff fans, you know, over the last 15 years. Not even close. Going in that building after losing 45-3 to on Monday Night Football and knocking that team out and sending them home. I mean, that's a win more and more and more over time. You know, Coach, people, as Jeff fans look back on that win, it means that much more to them. It was a lot of fun. That was a great win. We we were actually a, a good team. We were a fun team to be a part of. We had good guys. We didn't have off-the-field problems. You know, we just had good people that, that, that really did a nice job. We were a certain type you know, that, that we were. And it, it, I'm not sure Mike quite ever quite understood that, but uh, uh, that's what we were. And it was really fun to be a part of. So, yeah, that, that team could beat a lot of football teams. I look, I look at my years with the Jets, you know, like those 12 years in the first 10, we're in the playoffs 60% of the time, 50%. And we were good. I look at that roster. I watch the roster sometimes now. I don't know if five guys could make that football team. We were we were good. We were damn good. You ain't kidding. Was there any hangover effect going into that second AFC title game? You beat New England. You beat Brady and Belichick. You fall behind 24-0 against the Steelers. Was it just a sloppy start, a bad start? Or do you think that hangover from the Patriot game the week before was a real thing? It was, it was a little bit of both, a little bit of everything. I remember being in a gigantic argument in my office about who we were going to activate. And Mike was adamant about activating a couple of guys because they were going to help us. I walked up on the board and they were five players. And I wrote number 11 on there. I said, those five guys won't play 11 plays. I kept that up on there for the next two years, but I was right. Needless to say, they didn't want to come in my office very often. Uh, I was furious. Um, we just didn't understand it. We, 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 we were tough and we were going to get away from that and become something else. You know, we, it was important for us to run the ball, control the clock, Pound people on defense, get a player two on special teams to help in the ball game. Now, that's how we beat Pittsburgh before. We ran the opening kickoff back for touchdown. At the end of the game, we were down by it gave, enabled us to be down by four instead of less. And when they so the Steelers we were ahead, excuse me, and that they couldn't beat us. So we were that type of football team. And I think on that day we had gotten away from it. We came out throwing the ball. We had interceptions. We gave up points and. Uh, now, even though we fought back in the second half, we were just too far down. So combination of those things. But I like that football team. If I if I could go back in time, um, I, I don't know how I could get it done, but I would try everything I could do to make sure that we, you know, accentuated that role and didn't try to become something else. We tried to become something else and it miserably failed. Coach, who's the best special teams coach currently in the league? Today? Yes. That's a good question because that job has been so diminished. Uh, you just don't have any place anymore. Um, I'd have to probably it's the two guys, in my opinion. Um, 
Dave Tobe with Kansas City's done an outstanding job. And Jody Camellis, my guys out at the Rams, and I think they're probably the best. But the problem you have with all of them, you just I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a statistical number. I'll give you a good number here. My first 30 years in the National Football League, okay, not counting, not counting field goals and PATs, either kicking or defending, right? Not counting those plays, I averaged 22 plays a game. Average, 22 a game. When I went to the Saints, seven. Wow. Now, see, I'm not counting a touchback. Because no, I can you shouldn't count a touchback. I mean, and, and think about it. The kick, the kickoff now, in, in many ways, Mike, it's almost become non-existent. Thank I you. mean, unless you're trying to get creative and cute, and you're trying to have a little bit of waft on the kick and not kick it into the end zone, I feel like half the time I'm watching games, I see a kickoff. It's a good time to go get a beer or go to the bathroom at that point. No question. That's exactly right. And then take, take that, take it a step further. Now that you bring the ball out to the 25 with the way that the rules are today, how hard is it for a team to move from the 25 to the 50? Not very hard. So you see, now, now you've got teams that are up the 50 yard line. That's where I think that the game is played today. You've got, you've got two, two red zone defenses from, you know, from the 50 to the 40 and from the 40 on in. So you're playing two types of games in there. But basically what you've done, you've taken away at least two and probably three punt or punt return type plays if you don't have any longer. So now subtract the number of kickoffs, take those punts out of there, instead of 22, you've got seven. And someone like me, I'm at the right spot. I'm out because the job that I had doesn't exist today. That's crazy to think about. Coach, final one. And you were around this team. You know this head coach very well, Sean Payton. How do you see the quarterback situation shaking out? You think it's going to be Jameis Winston for a majority of this year? Or from your time with Taysom Hill, does he have, in your opinion, what it takes to be an NFL quarterback? Or is he a gimmick guy? Like, he's perfect on special teams, perfect on short yardage. I don't know if he's an every-down quarterback. How do you see yeah, that's him? That's a good It's a good question. I think he can do it, but the offense has to be really tailored for him to do it. You've got to be running his own read. Lots of bootlegs, lots of waggles, lots of sprints, et cetera. I think what, what I have to give Winston credit for is last year, he enrolled in a Harvard graduate school of quarterbacks with Sean Payton and Drew Brees. That's what he did. And he, I, from the, what I understand, the guys that I know, they said he really busted his tail. He did a heck of a job. And in the preseason, I've seen a little bit of that. So as much as I say so, I think, I think, uh, I think Winston deserved the opportunity. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what he does for me. Coach Mike Westoff. Coach, I wish you would have got that Dolphin gig 20-plus years ago. Just saying, bro. Just saying. I know you feel the exact same way, but considering how the next couple of years went with Dave Wonstad, I would have felt a lot more comfortable with Coach Mike Westoff leading oh, the charge. Please. Just saying. You can read about it a little bit. I wrote about it. I finished. I got a contract to do this book. Uh, it's going to be called Figure It Out. And it's all about the side of the NFL that's not the number one quarterback. It's the Zach Thomas, how he ended up in the NFL, the Larry Izzo. How did those guys find a way? O.J. McDuffie. I, I think people are going to love it. I'm extremely proud of it and hope to get it out by Christmas. So we're trying. We just got, at least I got a contract, so I'm working on it. Well, Coach, when that book comes out, I'll take care of reading it, and then we have you on the show again, and we break it all down. Does that sound Thank like a plan? You. That's great. I love you. Thank you very much. That's great. tremendous. That's the great Mike Westoff, longtime special teams coach, one of the best special teams coaches in the history of the NFL. Not even close. We're getting you ready for week one. 
Obviously going to be a very emotional weekend here in New York City. All that and more. We'll come right back. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. So for the first edition of the Unlocks of the Week, I thought of who could be a guy that could go mano a mano with yours truly, that I have great respect for, that the New York fan is going to love. He's like in his eighth or his ninth month in retirement. So I said, we could pull him off the golf course 15 to 20 minutes a week, and we'll see who has the better record at the end of the year. Welcome to New York, New York. Weekly now, the great Joe Benigo. Joe, what's up, baby? JJ, my guy. How are you, bro? Joe, life is good, my brother. I know you you feel the exact same way. Did you go for the golf lesson? I want to know. You got to tell me and listen, Joe was like my mental health coach on Tuesday. Mental health. Actually He's my mental told me health to coach. pick up on nine, take a reset, recharge, and we had a much better back nine when we played together. Did yeah. you ever think, Joe, in all your years of golf, that you would actually be a mental health coach for somebody like me? It's hard no, to believe. absolutely not. I, 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 you know, I'm just trying to be a mental health coach to myself, never mind somebody else at this point in time. But uh, like I always say, Jay, I've been playing 20 years. It took me 20 years to get bad. You know what I mean? I understand that. And yeah. hopefully it will take me <laughs> take me another 40 to get good. You know well, what I mean, well, bro? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We you will work at it. And, and I guarantee you there are a lot more golf rounds coming our way. But as we get ready to make picks, I'm so fired up that you have decided to do this. How do you feel going into week one? Do you like handicapping week one? Is week, week one is- kind of a pain in the ass for you? How do you feel about it? Week one is the hardest hardest one to do. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, we talked about it a little bit. Maybe the last week of the season, you know, because you don't know how different mindsets of teams, teams that are already in the playoffs, that are going to play guys. But the first week, you have no conception of what the year is going to be like because you know there's going to be teams that are highly talented teams that are not going to be as good as maybe people think they're going to be. And then you're going to have teams that people, you know, are, you know – don't really have too much expectation level on that are going to turn out to be pretty good. So who knows? And look, here's all you need to know. Last year, the Jacksonville Jaguars won one game. They won opening day against the Colts. And they didn't win again. So, I mean, (laughs) what does opening day – and the Colts made the playoffs. So what, what really does opening day mean when all is said and done? Well, we'll overreact to narratives after one week. That happens year after year after year. And listen, I always say, Joe, you don't want to bury yourself in the month of September. Go two and two, get out at two and two, and then kind of take it from there. The 0 and 4s can get you into trouble. I agree on week one, but you can't be staring 0 and 3 and 0 and 4 in the face. Well, it's like, it's like, you know, playing uh, in the NFL. I mean, you know, you can, you know, if you get through two and two, I mean, you're really not in too bad of a shape. If you get through one and three, oh, and four, now you're talking about, you know, really uh, an uphill battle the rest of the year. Now, I know on your old program, you and your old partner used to pick three games a week. I'm right. putting you to work now. You're in All retirement right. mode now, so you can work a little harder. 
I'm going to give you now five games. You're going to go heads up with me. And we are going to draw up the terms of the wager by the end of the year. It might be a bougie round of golf. Right, a nice fancy right, course, right, and the right. loser of this particular contest might be picking up the tab for me, you, Tommy Keenan, and the lovely Terry, of course, who no found a way to make maybe, this happen. Maybe, we, you know what? If I win, maybe we'll go to Slugrass, bro. What do you think? You want, you want listen, to fly, out the, I'm, you I'm want to fly out the pebble? You want to do pebble? What do you think about that? Tory Pines? I'll do Scottsdale? <laughs> I'll do anywhere, bro. There you listen, go. There you go, bro. I'm a world traveler. That's what we I do. Know, so I, I am going to give the floor. And I'm going to cede it to you, and we're going to go mono we mono. We're going to go pick by pick. So the Joe Beningo, first pick here on New York, New York. Yeah. What do we got, brother? Well, I'll tell you, I, it's so that we talk about this all the time. It's so difficult to pick week one. And I was going back and forth on this. I'm taking the Steelers getting six and a half in Buffalo. And I know everybody loves the Bill. The Bills, to me, certainly, hey, you know, uh, they went to the AFC title game. They're a team that certainly is looked at as a Super Bowl contender. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, the quarterback's ready really – I mean, he really blossomed last year, but God knows where he's going from here, Josh Allen. You know, they got a solid, solid defense. Uh, you know, Diggs was tremendous for them last year. This is this is a dangerous football team. But I I can never – and I don't know what Pittsburgh is. I mean, let's be honest. Who knows? Roethlisberger's at near the end of his career, you know – uh, they made the playoffs last year, but they, you know, you knew they really weren't a Super Bowl contending team. Cleveland finally got them in the playoffs. Um, but uh, there's something about the Steelers have that pedigree. And the Steelers are being taken very lightly. Nobody has any real expectations for them. You know, Mike Tomlin's still the coach. Let, let's put it this way. When you look at this organization and the fact that they've had three coaches since 1970, I'm going to take my shot getting six and a half with Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Well, I like the sound of you going against the grain and going with a contrarian pick right out of the gate because I'm going to counter your Steeler pick okay. Okay. with a contrarian pick of my own. Ahead, I like the it. Cleveland Browns this week to wow. cover the number in wow. Kansas City. And right. I know a lot of people are going right. to be saying, JJ, what are you, right. nuts? What are you smoking? You're picking against Patrick Mahomes in his own building in week yeah. one? Here's why. Cleveland can keep the ball away from him. Cleveland has a terrific offensive line, and Cleveland has a pass rush that can disrupt Mahomes. I bet that pass rush went to work on the film of what Tampa was able to do in the Super Bowl. I'm getting points. It's a revenge spot from the postseason game of last year. And I don't know if it's going to be good enough to win this week, Joe. I don't. But I see that number, and I'm going to scoop the six points. I'm going to take the six points. We're going with two teams out of the AFC mm. North right out of the gate. Browns plus the points to start us off. All right. Game number two. I'm taking the Giants, bro. I'm, I'm going to stay here with local in New York. I'm getting two and Look a half. He's sucking up to the Giant fans. No, First no, 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 I, you know, to get two and a half, some places I'm seeing three. I've seen three some places. You know, we're talking about a, a number of two and a half here with the Giants. Look, here here it is. They're home. They're going to, for the first time in two years, they're going to have fans in the building. I know the Giant fans, they, you know, they got a great fan base. They're pumped to be back. Uh, you know, I, I mean, look, I, I don't know what Denver is. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is their quarterback. I, I don't know, you know. 
I, I don't know what this Vic Fangio. I mean, I don't know what this team is. You know, defensively, I guess they're pretty decent, I guess. But, you know, they travel cross country. It is week one, so that kind of mitigates that a little bit. But, you know, they are traveling cross country. Um, I'm concerned about Daniel Jones. It's a major year for Jones. To me, it's make or break. This is the money year. He, if he doesn't get it done this year, he may go the way of Sam Donald. I mean, that very well is probably what will happen. But this is a make or break year. I'm not sold on him yet. But I think the Giants have a very, very good defense. We'll see about Barkley. I don't know what's going to happen. Is he playing this week? I mean, I don't even know. I mean, are we going to see a cameo? It's super vague. Nobody knows. Nobody knows with Barkley at this point. But I like your logic with the Giants, and I don't know know if you feel this way all your years of being around the the NFL show. Your offensive line is always a question. It's bad, though. It's really bad. Right, 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 right. But one thing you notice with certain teams in week one, there are certain teams where you almost feel like there's more of a sense of urgency to right. go and win. Don't you get the sense with the Giants this week? Yeah. This is the sort of game that I can do. kind of set their season one way or another because I get that feel 100%. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great point that you're making. I really do. I think this kind of – look, they, they went 6-10 and 10 last year. They should, I like what I see from Joe Judge. I got to say that. I mean, I think they got something here with a coach. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, it still remains to be seen. I mean, they still were 6-10. and 10. But he had him in a mix in a lousy division to win the division. Went right down to the last week of the season. They did play very good defensively. Uh, I'm curious to see what, what happens with Leonard Williams now. He was he was Deacon Jones last year. Now he's gotten paid. Let's see if he continues to be that. You know what I'm saying? I'm very interested to see that. But I like Graham as a defensive coordinator. I think the defense is going to be good. It was good like we talked about last year. Um I, I just think the Giants are winning this game. You're getting point, two and a half is a little bit shaky because that could be a little bit of a sucker too to pull you in a little bit. You know, home dog. It's not like they're getting you know even three and a half here. But uh, I'm I'm going to take the Giants. I, I got I got a good feeling about this game for the Giants. Okay, Joe. I'm going to stay in the NFC East. I okay. love Washington this week. Love, okay. love, love Washington getting a point against the LA Chargers. Anytime I get a West Coast team. Coming to the East Coast, that's an advantage to the East Coast team. The Chargers, to me, are one of these sexy teams that's getting a lot of love in the preseason, but they're still a losing franchise. And I like Washington up front. They are going to be able to be disruptive. Eckler is a game-time decision. If he doesn't play, that's a big loss for the Chargers. I'm in on Washington. I know it's Fitzpatrick. And you know what they get to about it. You never know. But you never know. Look, Fitzpatrick could look like a pro bowler. I mean, we've seen that, too. We know. And he's Bro, also he can throw like four he... touchdowns this week and put up 35 points. He could throw four interceptions this right. week and right. cost me the bet. No I'm banking on a big week from Fitz. Big game from the Washington defense. Football team starts off 1-0, Joe. That's pick number two. Okay. All right. I like that. I like that. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go right to the to the Sunday night game here because I love the Rams. I really do. I love the Rams at home, laying seven and a half. I have no idea what the Bears are, bro. I don't know what they are. I mean, Andy Dalton is starting at quarterback. Uh, hope you know. I'm sure we'll see Fields down the road at some point. But I think the Rams are ready now. You know, I, you know Matthew Stafford. He's finally on a team where he's got some talent on his team. He's got a big time defense. He's got the best defensive player in the game and. And Aaron Donald on the other side, uh, you know, I like McVay as a coach. Uh, you know, they were always pretty good, the Rams. I mean, he did lose to the Jets last year, but nevertheless, they, the Rams still, you know, and, and that with Jared Goff, at quarterback, this is an upgrade. There's no question about it that going from uh, going to Matthew Stafford from Jared Goff 
is a big upgrade for the Rams here. And like I said, I just don't know what the Bears are. The game's at home for L.A. Uh, I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Seven and a half to me is not a big number. I think they're going to bury the Bears. Uh, give me the Rams laying the seven and a half. Well, I'm with you on the Rams in my knockout pool. I'm not going to lay the seven and a half. We're not going to ride on this one together. But okay. for the sake of my Circa knockout pick out in Las Vegas and the Sean Marash special, we need the Los Angeles Rams, my friend, to take care of business. And I did pick, Joe, the Rams to win the Super Bowl this year, a couple I of days ago. I, I told you, it, I like the Rams over the Browns in this year's Super Bowl in Los Angeles. So you're taking the Rams there. I like that. One other thing, too, about the Rams. I think the quarterback really now has something to prove. Now, now, you know. Best okay, team he's well, ever been know, on, you, Joe. Best well, team he's ever been on. No, no, no doubt. Now, there's no no excuses anymore. You've always had all the talent. We all know how, you know, what kind of what kind of guy he can be. We know what kind of arm he's always had. Now you got the team. Go out there and get it done. Pick three for me. I'm going to stick with a quarterback who's got something to prove. I think Matt Ryan this year has something to prove. There was a mm. lot of talk a year mm. ago yeah. about him yeah. being replaced. They're going to take yeah. Justin Fields. They're going to go get a young quarterback. Well, they bring in Art Smith from Tennessee who worked wonders with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. They draft Kyle Pitts. Calvin Ridley out of Alabama is an absolute stud. He can put up monster, monster numbers. And I am banking on a monster week one effort against the Philadelphia team that is retooling. I am looking at this spread right now mm. as we speak. It is at three and a hook. So you right, have to right. pay for the three and the hook. I don't think Philadelphia can keep up and attract me. I'm taking the Atlanta Falcons, laying the three and a half. New coach, new fields. I want to know to start the year. So Atlanta, pick number three. All right. I like it. I like it. All right. Here's my fourth pick. Again, a team that I think is a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I'm, I'm laying the points at home with this team, and it's not a lot. And that's the Titans against Arizona at home. You know, first of all, Arizona last year, I mean, you know, Murray showed me a lot. I like him. I, I, Kingsbury, uh, you know, I think he did a good job with them, but they did collapse the second half of the year. You know, after that, after that crazy game where Murray threw that, you know, Hail Mary, Hail Murray, what do you want to call it, against the Bills, did they win again? I mean, they really didn't play well after that game, yeah, Arizona. So, uh, you know, I, I, I question, I mean, they might be have a good year. That's a tough division in the NFC West, but I like the Titans a lot. I really do. Vrabel's a really good coach. We know how they can run the football with Derrick Henry. Uh, you know, they added a couple guys now uh, that, that I like. We'll see how Bud Dupree, I know he's been banged up. He was banged, got hurt last year in Pittsburgh, but we know what kind of pass rusher he can be. Julio Jones, you know, maybe not the guy that he was at the top of his game in Atlanta, but still a guy that's, uh, you know, it's got to be dealt with there offensively. Tannehill, certainly you talked about what Arthur Smith did with him. I, I, I like Tennessee here. I don't think three is a big number, and uh, I, I like the Titans. I really do. Well, Joey, I'm going to stay in the division, and I'm oh, going to take a team that's actually going West Coast to East Coast, but they are a team that historically has no problem going West Coast to East Coast. That's the Seattle Seahawks. This line is fishy. I fully acknowledge that. Seattle only being mm. a two-and-a-half-point favorite against Indianapolis is a fishy line. Seattle makes their bones over covering these sort of games. They do it all the time. Wilson knows how to win. Carroll knows how to win. I think there will be an adjustment period for Carson Wentz over the first couple of weeks. COVID, coming back off an injury, new system warning, Frank Reich's terminology once again. And if you've noticed with the Colts on the Reich, 
they're a lot better at the end of the year than they yeah. are at the beginning yeah. of the year. You referenced yeah. that Jacksonville debacle yeah. last yeah. year where they lost yeah. in week one. <laughs> Seattle is not losing this game. This, to me, is one of those games they know, hey, in our division, we got to get this one. We can't be behind the eight ball right out of the gate. I'll lay the two and a half. I'll play it. I don't care if it's a sucker. Seattle is winning in week one, and they're covering two and a half points. Yeah, I mean, I, I could, I, I don't disagree at all. And I, and I, I, what's the story? Wentz is starting, right? I don't love. As far as we know, and listen, you never uh, uh, know with this COVID stuff. So by the time right, Sunday right, rolls right, around, you right. might see Jacob Beeson. But right. as far as I know, we're going to see Carson Wentz on Sunday, which, right. by the way, I think is good news for my bet. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't love Wentz. I hear you, bro. All right, last time I'm taking my team. Here they are. Ready? Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm taking them, bro. I'm taking them. I got to do it. Now, what am I getting? Am I getting five in a hook? Am I getting five? What am I getting here? You are getting four and a half. Oh, now it's down to four and a half. So, so there's a lot of money coming in on the Jets. Four right. and a half well, we is our number there, right now that you are getting. These are a little off here. You know that, right? A little bit. Well, they move. Be... That's the problem. They're yeah, moving. They All are right. moving. So but I'll take listen, my we... four and a half. I'm good. And we're giving you, and by the way, we're giving you three with the Giant game. And I know you're going to like that that much more. You're okay, good. All right. So the, get, so the Giants, I'm getting three. I'm just writing all this stuff down. I hope people don't mind it. You know, that oh, right. That's all right. Listen, that's and, the beauty and the of it. You're getting three down, with down the down Giant to... game. And if you're wondering about your beloved New York Jets, you're getting four and a half points. All right. And the other games are all still the same as we discussed. Six and a half. You're getting three with your Tennessee Titans. Right. And you're getting seven and a half with the Rams. Right. Those numbers okay. have not... If anything, the only number that you ended up getting was a key half point in the Giant game. So I'm okay. giving that to you. That is I mean, the kindness yeah, of my way. heart. And I appreciate it. This is, this is what makes you great, bro. This is one of the many, many attributes that you have. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I'm still taking it with four and a half. I just think they're going to they're gonna get a big effort here. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think that Robert Sal, I am banking. and Hopefully the quarterback's going to be going to be the guy. I don't We'll see. But I got a good feeling about this coach. Now, I hope I'm right. I really do. I was thrilled. I was doing a dance when the Jets, you know, once he left the building, I couldn't believe it. I said, they're not going to blow it with this guy. And when, the next day when I found out, they brought him back and they signed him. I did a dance because I am I love Sal. I loved what I saw with him in San Francisco. You just get that feeling about that guy that things, you know, that it, it, there's a change now uh, with this franchise. You get that. And again, I don't know. And we probably won't know this year because they're not going, you know, it's, it's very unlikely they're going to be a playoff team this year. Okay. So we probably aren't going to know right away. I'm sure we probably aren't going to know about this quarterback for a couple of years. You know, we know how that, how that works. But I got a good feeling about Salah. I think he's going to have them playing hard. And, and let's be honest. I mean, how good is, is Carolina a team that we're like, oh, you know, just four and a half, they're just going to come in and beat the Jets up? I don't see it. Sam Donald's the quarterback. Let's not forget that. You know, now, would it shock us? Certainly, Jet fans, if Donald went out there and threw six touchdown passes against them? Of course not. I mean, that wouldn't stun me at all. But let's let's look a little realistically here. I think the defense is going to play well. I think you're going to get a big year out of C.J. Mosley. I really do. He's got a lot to prove. There's a guy playing with a chip on his shoulder, and I love those kind of guys. I really do. I think the defensive line is going to be, even without Lawson, is still going to be effective. They got some guys on that line. You know, they brought in Shaq Lawson. Uh, you know, Sheldon Rankin's there from New Orleans. Badakasi, uh, you know, Franklin Myers. You know, hopefully Quinn Quinton Williams really, you know, develops to be that kind of, you know, first-round pick we all hoped he would be. 
you know, he started to show signs last year. I think the offensive line is going to be a lot better. Uh, hopefully, Becton stays healthy and stays in shape. That always concerns me. Um, you know, uh, I like the uh, the guy Morgan on the other side. Uh, Morgan Moses on the other side. I like that. Let's see how they are. I think they're going to be able to run the football. I think they're going to try to run the ball. I think they should. They should try to run the ball and protect the, the young quarterback. The kid made all the throws in preseason. That means nothing. Preseason means absolutely nothing. It's like your golf swing. It's like the swing you just There's have. There's nothing the worse than those practice have. swings. You and then that. you step up it's to the team and shank it 100 yards. You ain't kidding, bro. It means nothing. It's like what I did yesterday means nothing when I'm going to do on a golf course today. So that's preseason as far as I'm concerned. And non-alcoholic beer, right? That's one of and my favorite Joe right. Benigo well, tweets. Well, that's, that Ever. goes without saying, of course. You know, then why bother? Why, why, you know, I mean, come on. If you, you're going to drink beer without alcohol. What are we doing here? But nevertheless, I do. I, and I think they're going to play hard. I think it's going to be a close game. Man, who knows? Maybe they're not going to win. Maybe they won't win. They probably aren't going to win. I don't know. I think, they, I think they actually I think they will win. But no matter what, you're getting four and a half. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm taking my team week one. All right, you go with your team week one. I wanted to take my team in week one. Can't do it. I yeah, just that's can't. a tough one. They you don't win. stay away. They don't win in Foxborough. No. They've won there once in the last 18 or 19 years. It's a stay away for me. The final game and, I'm going to give you, I think, is going to surprise By the way, you. let me just say one more thing about that. But just quickly on the Miami-New uh, England game. Well, who knows? I don't know what either of these teams are. I mean, I'm not sold on your quarterback yet. I, I'm, I'm just not. I mean, who knows? Belichick and his kid Jones. I mean, I, I you know, look. We knew all along Jones was going to be the quarterback. I, there's no doubt. I'm, I was never surprised they got rid of Cam Newton. And you know, he's so, been talking to Saban every day, getting a scouting report from Saban because they're buddy buddy, guaranteed. Yeah, well, oh God! Well, well, that's of course, of course. There's no question about that. So I don't know what these two teams are. I do. Know, the one thing I do know about both teams, though, obviously, we know how great a coach, probably the best ever in Belichick. Your coach is pretty good. I mean, I like him. I like Flores a lot. And so. you told me two years ago when I wanted him to lose games, you said, hey, guess what, kid? You got yourself a coach. Yeah, you told yeah. me that. When they were winning games that yeah. nobody thought they were going to yeah. win, yeah. I remember you wanted a few guys in the media said, hey, guess what? The Dolphins, they're doing this the right way. I like what Brian Flores got going. Yeah, and, you did and, say and, that. And, that was, you know, and they won that game. We talked, you talked about winning in Foxborough. How about what they did the last week of the season with Fitzpatrick? You know, they go up there, they knock the Patriots out of the, out of the bye week, and it cost the Patriots. They got beaten week one by the Titans. So that was a major, major win as far as the landscape of the NFL playoffs were concerned. They showed me something Flores did then two years ago. They won 10 games last year. But I'm not sold on Tua, uh, but I do like the coaches. So that, that said, now give me your fifth pick. All right, the fifth one is going to surprise you because I don't think much of this team this year, but I think. First game in that building, rocking, rocking crowd, and all the injuries on the other side, I think the Raiders are going to play a spirited mm. game in honor mm. of Al, in right, honor of right, Brent. Right, They're going right. to have Elvis, Marilyn right. Monroe, and everything right, there right, out in right, Las right. Vegas. Don't the forget Raiders, the Rat Pack. Don't forget Frank, Dean, and Sammy. Don't forget, forget that. Can't forget about huh? them. The spirit of the Rat Pack, too. <laughs> Raiders, Joe. And this might be the only time I pick them this year. They're going to cover four and a half points. So that is a little bit of my off the beaten path pick. All right. So to recap, to recap, Beningo rolling with both locals, the Rams, the Buffalo Bills, no, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Steelers, and the Tennessee Titans. That's the the Beningo five. Correct. Right. And then give me me, me the JJ rundown again. Let's hear it. Cleveland, plus the six. 
Atlanta laying the three and a half. Then we're going with Washington plus the point. The Raiders, we got the Raiders plus the four and a half. And Seattle laying two and a half. That's the slate for week one, my man. Beautiful. And quickly, Dolphins win or lose? Lose, right? You you, you expect to lose Sunday. Is that fair to say? No. I think it's a toss-up game. And okay. I feel like my opinion on this game has shifted. I was negative early in the week. Okay. Joe, the hell with it. I think they're winning on Sunday against the Patriots. Uh, well, let me I tell think you, it's going to be a rough day for the rookie. You know, I have no love for either of these teams, as you well know. God knows that. Okay? I will be rooting for your Dolphins. I do not want to see the page, the rebirth of the Patriots, uh, you know, as a as a Super Bowl contender. I don't want to see that. I will be rooting for your Miami Dolphins. Well, you, what's fair is fair. You're rooting for the Dolphins this week. I'll pull for a Jet victory for your uh, your so sanity, nice. So nice your you. overall well being, and hopefully <laughs> we're in good spirits the next time I see you on the golf course. We'll do this next week. I'm right, glad bro. that you're going to be a weekly contributor on the show. Thank you. I Appreciate wish you nothing but the best, except I got to kick your ass in this pick and pull. I have All to, right. you know? All right. All right. When are we playing golf again? You ready to go? Let me know. We will make that happen. And what do we say, Joe B? All the love. All of it. All of it. Thank you, brother. See you, bro. God bless. Fresh off the heels of the legendary Joe Beningo. We got to bring in one of our Vegas guys to get a sense for what we got right and what we got wrong. And we're going to do that each and every football Friday here on New York, New York. So we welcome in a guy who's a friend of the show. I saw him for a couple of drinks, dinner. He joined the pod when we were out in Vegas a few weeks ago. And little did I know he would end up with a new job title. Now the supervisor at the Superbook, at the good old Westgate, big time, Art the Caesar. What's happening, brother? JJ, my man, it's a pleasure to be here as always. And yeah, man, I mean, we just saw each other a couple weeks ago and, you know, we were talking about how much we were looking forward to this football season and it's here, man. And what a game we had tonight. It should be an incredibly fun football season. Well, I love the sound of the new title. Congratulations across the board on that, number one. And let's start right here, right out of the gate. Had to be a good night for the books, correct? Dallas covering this number. Obviously, you guys jacked up that line. Tampa Bay was sitting seven and a half on Tuesday, closed a little bit before 10, right around kickoff. I got to assume a lot of that public money was coming in on the Buccaneers. Oh, 100%, JJ. And yeah, like you said, basically went from seven and a half to nine and a half. And, you know, you're looking at almost 90% of tickets, almost 80% of the money on Tampa. So good night for the books. Also a good teaser buster because... You know, Tampa was going to be in a lot of teasers. Tampa ended up winning by two. You know, the people who got it at eight, eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, you know, they're going to lose out on that. So you knew Tampa was going to be in a lot of teasers. And Tampa winning the game outright, not covering, great result. As far as liability this week, there are a couple of massive favorites. You see the Rams, the seven and a half point favorite. Buffalo is the six and a half point favorite. San Francisco, seven and a half point favorite against the Lions. From a liability standpoint, are you guys big fans of Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Chicago? Oh, yeah. I would say out of all of those, though, Steelers. You know, and, and, and it's weird, too, because normally Steelers have such a backing. You get a lot of Steeler money. Steelers are a public team, fans all over the country. But people are on the Bills this year. People love the Bills. I'm a fan of the Bills. I have a Super Bowl ticket on them at 11-1. So I think the Bills, minus 6.5 on Sunday, you know, that could go off 
by Sunday kickoff, that could be our biggest liability you're looking at. The other two you mentioned, obviously the Niners, listen, people don't like to lie seven, seven and a half on the road, but the Lions are terrible. Niners should have a bounce back season. Rams, of course, Rams at home on that Sunday night game. All the money has come in on the Rams. You know, it's it's that defense and that team. I know that's a team you love, the Rams, a team I like as well. We spoke on the pod a couple of weeks ago. You know, they're going against Andy Dalton. They're basically throwing Dalton to the dogs until, you know, they can put fields in there. So, yeah, th- those for sure. But I would say out of those three, Buffalo is going to be our biggest liability. We'll be big Pittsburgh fans on Sunday. I'm going to ask you this every week, and hopefully we're going to nail this more often than not. What, in your opinion, spread-wise, is the biggest sucker bet of week one? Wow, that's a that's a great one. You know, I would say one that is a sucker bet, and it's crazy to say it's a sucker bet. The only reason I'm going to say it's a sucker bet early is because of what we saw last year and the sharp money I've seen come in. I think everyone is going to just blindly take the Chiefs. They're going to lay the six with the Chiefs. I've seen a lot of sharp money on Buffalo. And you got to remember the Chiefs last year. They went on that like 10, 11, 12 game stretch where they were winning games, but they weren't covering the games. You know, they're going to break in this new offensive line. Obviously, the Browns have a lot of cachet this year. A lot of people like them this year. So I think people are going to lay the points early with the Chiefs. But I, I don't know. I think that's too much in that early in that early week one matchup. Well, I'm going to have you now grade out Beningo's picks and my picks every week. And we're going to get a sense if we're on the same side or for a little heads up on a couple of these. Cleveland is one of the games I'm all over. So my super contest picks for the week are, I got Cleveland plus the six. I got Seattle laying two and a half. I got the football team plus the point. I got Atlanta laying three and a half. And I got Vegas at home in the Death Star grabbing four and a half when I know everybody in planet Earth is going to take Baltimore to try to make their money back first game of the year. Out of those five, what do you like? What do you not like? You know, JJ, when I look at those picks, listen, we talked a couple weeks ago on the pod. I told you I I was a big Washington believer. I think Washington and this team, when we talked, it was plus one, plus one and a half. I liked it at plus 105 money line. Now, I understand in the Super Contest, you got to lay the one, but I think everyone will be on San Diego. San Diego's a hot team. Herbert coming into the second year. But Washington at home, always play well at home. Great defense. I think the Raiders, once again, Monday Night Football, they're going to have the fans. People are going to be into it. You're catching more than three points. So taking four, four and a half, four and a half in the contest is great. Obviously, the Ravens, they're a good team, playoff team. But they're coming off a lot of injuries right now. So that's tough. Atlanta, another team we talked about. I think they're an underrated team. They should have a really nice offense. You know, that division's open. And, you know, I think the Eagles are, eh, I don't, I don't really believe in the Eagles. So I would say out of those three, those three, I think you have a solid three you know, Seattle, eh, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about Seattle. Seattle's a, li- a little bit of a tougher one. And what was that fifth one you said? Cleveland, plus the six against oh, yeah, Kansas Cleveland. City. Cle- uh, yeah, and I just said I like Cleveland. I think Cleveland was someone, you know, that is going to be a little underrated in the game. That should probably be more of the traditional home team giving three, maybe four. So you're getting the six points for Cleveland. So, you know what? I, I got to give check marks to four out of your five games for sure. And I'm telling you with Seattle, I know it looks very chalky. They love winning on the East Coast. I'll ride with them on the East Coast, no matter what the trends tell you, because they win these games more often than not. Now, for Beningo, he went with the two locals, the Giants getting points, the Jets getting points, the Rams laying the points, Tennessee laying the three, and he is a firm believer this week in the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I know is going to be music to your ears. So out of those five, the two New York locals, Tennessee, L.A. and Pittsburgh, what are we thinking? 
Absolutely. You know, we touched on Pittsburgh. Obviously, Pittsburgh is going to be someone we're rooting for. You know, it, it's funny. The Titans is a team who, you know, Titans have gotten a lot of feel in the offseason. They made some moves. Obviously, when Wentz went down, the division kind of shifted to them a little bit. That's the traditional minus three at home. You know, Arizona, though, a little underrated. I think Arizona is going to be really good this year. They made a lot of moves. So, you know, that could be a game that just ends up landing three. That's definitely a coin flip game. When I look at the locals, honestly, I understand Beningo's a Chet fan, so he's going to ride with his team. I, I, I don't see the Jets. I, I think the Panthers are actually slightly underrated. I think Darnold comes into a situation where he's actually going to have some weapons. He's got McCaffrey. He's got Anderson. He's got more. I mean, he's going to have some weapons, and it's the revenge game, right? I mean, at home, you know, I know you've got to lay the four, four and a half, but yeah, I'm not really feeling that. Now, when I'm looking at the Giants, the Giants is an interesting game. That basically game open as a pick em. We might have had it slight. Denver minus one. It's now moved all the way to Denver minus three. Yeah, you know, I, I think these are two evenly matched teams. You're going to get a home team at home with three points in the Giants. Listen, the Giants are going to have a lot of problems on that offensive line. And we know Denver can rush the passer with Chubb and with uh, Von Miller. So, you know, I like that pick with the Giants. So I'm not against the Giants getting three. But as far as the other local, I, I don't see the Jets. I'm sorry. Final one. Now it's your turn, Art Caesar. Your best bet. You're placing a wager on anything here in week one. What do you like the most? You know, JJ, I got to stick with what I said to you a couple weeks ago. You know, I, I told you Washington plus one, plus one and a half, plus 105 on the money line. I was able to grab it at plus 105 on the money line. I still like it at minus one. But at this point, we've had this conversation for years. I would lay the minus 120 on the money line if you have to take Washington because you already missed the plus money. So I think Washington to me is my favorite NFL bet week one. I like the sound of that. A family play kicking off a football season on New York, New York from the Westgate Superbook, supervisor extraordinaire, and my good pal, the great art this season. Art, let's have a legendary season, brother. Looking forward to hearing from you every Friday and we'll do it again next week, big boy. Absolutely, JJ. It's a real pleasure, man. I can't wait. This is going to be a great football season. And man, this little twist on me grading your stuff, I'm going to be in here. I'm going to be in the lab, man. I'm going to be breaking your picks down. So I, I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun. I like it. Hopefully, Art likes my picks a lot more than Benigno's picks. <laughs> Just saying. All right, Art. Good stuff, baby. Take care. All right, brother. So we have another wrinkle to our little competition. Not only is Art the Caesar going to grade our picks, we're going to hear from our pal, Jeff Money, who also will be involved in the Super Contest. We do it like we do in Vegas, folks. We pick five. Jeff Money, the floor is yours. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. Here we are upon us. The NFL is back. This is going to be context, uh, contest style for week number one. I got my five plays, all right? Game number one, I'm going to go with the Packers minus the four over the Saints on the road. Now, remember, all these lines, we're going to go by your lines. If anything is different, you let me know, okay? So Packers will be game number one minus the four. Game number two, I'm going to go with the Rams at home minus the seven and a half over the Bears. Game number three, I'm going to go with the Eagles plus the three on the road over the Falcons. Game number four, I'm going to take the Cardinals plus the three over the Titans on the road. And finally, game number five, on the road, I'm going to take the 49ers minus the seven and a half over the Lions. I wish us both a winning season. And, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. So I don't notice any family plays with me and you. A family play for you and the great Beningo with the Rams laying seven and a half. Your heads up with Joe going to Arizona as opposed to Tennessee. Heads up with yours truly 
You got the Eagles. I got the Falcons. Those are the plays for week one across the board of the National Football League. We go from the Beaks to our fantasy plays. We welcome in my good pal, our fantasy extraordinaire, Jason Katz. So we're closing out the show in style. And let's just say my fantasy season got off to an outstanding start. Amari Cooper, I listened to this guy and put Antonio Brown in my lineup. And I drafted Antonio Brown. And I think it's fair to say, Jason Katz over at Pro Football Network, it worked out rather nicely. So happy to be here and so happy to see uh, a great week one game, opening game with so much fantasy goodness. You see Dak back looking great. Amari and Lamb looking like exactly what we thought they would be. And, and my guy, Antonio Brown, uh, proving that he is very much the same wide receiver one that he was for most of the 2010s. And that's pretty crazy to think about because you look at Tampa's team. Godwin has put up big fantasy numbers in the past. Mike Evans has put up big fantasy numbers in the past. Am I crazy to say, Jason, or am I overreacting to week one that Antonio Brown might be the most productive fantasy receiver on the Buccaneers? It really all depends on what Tom Brady wants to do. There is no doubt in my mind that if Antonio Brown was, was given the volume that he was given in Pittsburgh, he would, he'd be a top five receiver, the same guy that he was. The talent is still all there. The only thing that's not, that hasn't been there is the volume. Maybe it will be there. Fascinating. And for the Cowboys, you got to like where they're at. I know you're a Cowboy guy. I know it's a brutal loss. No offensive pass interference at the end of the game. But I think a lot of people wondered, no Zach Martin, Dak with this long layoff. How is he going to perform? From a fantasy standpoint, I'm looking at Dak. I'm looking at Maury Cooper. I'm looking at CeeDee Lamb. And I'm salivating over the idea of having these guys on my fantasy team, if indeed I have them. This offense looks like it hasn't missed a beat from where it was before Dak got hurt. He looks every bit like the guy that he was before his injury. And can we just stop with any sort of notion that any player needs to play a single preseason snap? Dak shatters his ankle in week five, doesn't play the entire rest of the season, misses training camp with a shoulder injury, doesn't play a single preseason game, and... Did he look like he he was rusty? Not to me. I didn't see that. Now, before we get into the start sit and a couple of Twitter questions, what would be the biggest piece of advice you would give to folks going into week one and then reacting to what you see after week one? Uh, heading into week one, you should typically start your players mostly in the order you drafted them. There are, of course, some exceptions. It, it, involving like flexes, like if you start a later drafted wide receiver over an earlier drafted running back based on matchups, that's all right. But in general, if you're talking about a third, fourth round pick, those guys are in your lineup. Uh, don't get cute. There's still a lot we don't know. There's a lot we're going to learn this week. A lot of uh, preconceived opinions will be confirmed or, or, or disproven. And we want, we want to see that before we start uh, shifting our lineups in any sort of unconventional way. Okay, Jason, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to combine the start and the fade section of each position quarterback running back wide receiver you and i've been doing this for a long time so when i tee these bad boys up for you i need two answers i need a quarterback i'm starting this week i need a quarterback that i'm fading this week what is on the docket my friend i know you've been itching i know you've been itching so let's hear it all right we'll start at quarterback as you said uh, I'm starting Trevor Lawrence. This could not be a better spot for a rookie making his debut on the road. He gets a Houston team that is widely considered to be the worst in the NFL. They should be able to run all over the Texans. And we hope Lawrence can throw a couple touchdowns in that, in that, uh, in that mix. 
guy that I'm sitting, Joe Burrow, I'm not concerned about Burrow's surgically repaired knee, but I am concerned about how concerned he might be about his surgically repaired knee. He'll probably be fine. And with the Bengals' poorest defense, need to throw a ton like he did last year when he averaged 40 pass attempts a game. But I would advise a wait-and-see approach with Burrow this season. Rolling with the number one pick in last year's draft as a must-play, the number one pick from two years ago is a fade. Very interesting start. Now we go to running back, Jason. What's on the docket? I absolutely love Raheem Mostert this week. The 49ers may have drafted Trey Sermon in the third round, and he will be their running back of the future. But for now, it's still Mostert. We saw three different backs post RB1 weeks in Kyle Shanahan's scheme last season. Mostert's biggest issue has been his health. At the very least, we know he's going to be out there week one. The Lions are the worst team in the NFC. And last season, they allowed the fifth most rushing yards in the NFL. The guy that I'm fading, Josh Jacobs. There's One of your argument. favorites, by the way. <laughs> you know, you would think that you would show a fellow JJ a little bit more love, but I, I understand John Gruden doesn't like Josh Jacobs. That's an issue. I, I mean, he doesn't like him and I don't like him. I think he's just a replacement level talent. Nothing special at all about him. Raiders are home underdogs against the Ravens. In losses, Jacobs averages over 10 fantasy points per game fewer than he does in wins. The Raiders are probably not going to win this game. And Jacobs does not catch passes. He never plays on third downs. In fact, in his entire career, he has one target on third down. His only hope for value is to fall into the end zone. And if he can't find pay dirt, he'll barely be an RB3. Well, Jason, considering I have a couple of shekels on the Raiders at plus four and a half, I hope that you were wrong on that. All right, my friend, let's get to wide receiver. All right, the guy that I am starting, Jamar Chase. Yes, really? I know. Yeah. After all the dropsies, after the complaining about the football, you're in on Jamar Chase in week one. This is fascinating. Fascinating. I, I know, and it also conflicts with my fading of Burrow, but hear me out. Chase was awful this preseason, as bad as it gets. But are we really about to write off the guy considered the best wide receiver prospect since Amari Cooper, who hadn't played football in two years because of a couple of bad preseason games? This feels like a situation where the Bengals are going to scheme chase some easy ones just to get his confidence going, which will be great for PPR leagues. Add in the fact that the Bengals should be trailing. Chase could see 8 to 10 targets in his debut contest. What he'll do with them, I'm not sure, uh, but I'm chasing the volume here. Chasing the volume with Chase, no pun intended. And <laughs> what's the other direction? Uh, the other direction is Odell Beckham. Where you had to draft Beckham is in a spot that makes him a fringe starter. I think discretion is the better part of Valor this week. By all accounts, Beckham's knee looks great. But lest we forget, when Beckham was on the field last season, he was horrendous. He averaged just 12.3 points per game last season. Could he improve this season? Sure. Am I rolling the dice in week one? No. Now, Jason, in future weeks, we will have our New York, New York audience leave a couple of voicemails and maybe get some start-sit advice. I got a few on Twitter like we had in the old days. So I hope that you're ready to be a man of the people and help out a little bit. You ready to do that? I know you like to do these uh, off the cuff, so I'll, I'll do my best. Well, it's better that way. I don't want you to see him. So Taylor asks, full PPR, flex, Trey Sermon, Devontae Smith, the Cole Beasley. Got to start one. Well, it's not Cole Beasley, so it's between Trey Sermon and Devontae Smith. Uh, Smith is the wide receiver one in Philly. Uh, in a PPR league, I would probably lean in his direction because I do think Sermon takes a backseat to Mostert in the first game of his career. Matty S. Flex, Miles Gaskin, my dude, Chase Claypool, Corey Davis. Only could start one. Is this a PPR league? Uh, I don't have the details there. 
Just says uh, flex. All I can tell you is flex. I, I really like Corey Davis and Chase Claypool, but I think in week one, I'm going to go with the guaranteed touches in Miles Gaskin. I do think he is the lead back in Miami. And the final question from Twitter, how do you replace Gus Edwards, another Raven running back out for the season on the waiver wire? What's the strategy there? Of course, I've been getting a handful of questions about what to do with the Ravens' backfield, and it keeps changing based on who's getting hurt, who's getting signed. I said from day one, I do not think Le'Veon Bell has any value. I think he's completely dust. Uh, then they signed Devonta Freeman, who was somehow even worse than Le'Veon Bell. These guys just, Those I mean, what are we doing here? Those would be great fantasy picks, dude, in 2017, bro. I mean, my goodness, 2017, <laughs> Devontae Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, they'd be number one picks. It'd be fantastic, but four years is a long time in the NFL. I would, I would uh, encourage everyone to go take a look at the uh, top like three or four rounds in fantasy drafts in 2017, and you'll realize how, how, how significant of a time frame four years is in the NFL. Uh, right now, I do believe that the guy on Monday will be Tyson Williams, but with the news of Latavius Murray likely going to the Ravens, eventually that's probably going to be a 50-50 type split. I think that Tyson Williams will end up being a little more than what Gus Edwards would have been. But Latavius Murray will be less than what J.K. Dobbins would have been. So they'll both have value, but it, it won't be as fun as it kind of would have been if it was just Gus or, or just Tyson. A complicated answer for a very complicated situation. Jason, we're going to have a fantastic year. Thank you for being a part of the program once again. And hopefully you're going to help the people. You've been quite the guide for them the last few years. So... You know, the ringer audience now is ready. You can't suck, okay? No pressure. <laughs> you always say that. I'm really excited to be back, though. Really excited for an NFL season where I can actually look forward to it and be confident that it's going to happen. And then we got, we got fans in the stands. I'm really looking forward to this year. That's Jason Katz. Pro Football Network will be joining us each and every football Friday right here on New York, New York. What a show. Loaded show. These Monday and Friday pods, folks, they're going to be off the rails. That's really the best way to look at it. Off the rails. We got a hell of a weekend coming up. We have our green room Saturday after the Yankees and the Mets. What a debacle that is going to be. And then Sunday, we are breaking it down. Two pods. Reaction to the Jets and the Giants and week one. That'll probably drop right after the four o'clock games. Then we will come back to a second pod on the Subway Series and the ramifications from the weekend. We're doing this pod with heavy hearts. We know what happened 20 years ago. It's... Crazy to think about the events of September the 11th and realize as a New Yorker that they were 20 years ago. Think of everybody. Heavy hearts. Hang in there this weekend. Hopefully you find something to put a smile on your face. Hopefully the football will do that. JJ signing off. Fellas, outstanding job. Be good, everybody. <laughs>